0: Listening to another episode of the Sly Hooper Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. A lot of stuff happening in the NBA this week, of course, but we are only doing a 30 to 35 minute episode, so I'm going to touch on a few things. Um, one, I would be remiss, of course, if I didn't touch on the surprising news that came out. Well, by the time this podcast comes out, it would have been yesterday. But the surprising news that LaMarcus Aldridge, Brooklyn Nets forward, who signed with the team after getting his contract bought out with the Spurs, has announced his retirement. And it came as a shock at first. Uh, I remember I saw the tweet first from, uh, I saw a tweet first from Sham Sarania that just flat out said LaMarcus Aldridge retired. So of course, everybody's like, wait, what? And of course... You know, a little side note before I go on, uh, before I give my flowers to LaMarcus Aldridge, who was a staple in my basketball life growing up, just in terms of watching the NBA. It seems like LaMarcus has been around for, for forever, but I just think it's hilarious for some reason, or not for some reason, it's for good reason, I guess. Over the last year and a half, two years, there's kind of been a heel turn on Sham Serania of The Athletic. Mostly because he has this really just weird and irresponsible propensity to just tweet out basically press releases and act like that it's a scoop. And I'm not going to question the scoop master that is Shamsarani. I think him and Woj are at the top of the, the mountain when it comes to insider information. But... Shams has done this thing lately over the last few years where the team first will tweet out the news in a press release or whatever, and then Shams will, minutes later, tweet it out on his Twitter account, and because he has a lot of following, he has a lot of followers, I should say, and he again, he is probably the second best newsbreaker, news insider, NBA insider in the game. A lot of people are just going to blindly retweet his stuff. He has been taking these press releases, basically, and not even retweeting or quote tweeting the original source of the news. He just flat out writes it out like it's his own scoop. And so when I saw the LaMarcus Aldridge news, I saw Shams tweet first. And it just said LaMarcus Aldridge is retiring. And this was about six minutes after LaMarcus Aldridge himself tweeted out his retirement announcement with a long, thought-out, detailed message as to why he is retiring. He did a graphic. He posted the screenshot of it on his Twitter account. And Shams couldn't even do the decency of doing that. So not only did he... So not only did Shams tweet out, LaMarcus Aldridge is retiring, and nothing else after that. Of course, people are left wondering why. People are letting the jokes fly because LaMarcus Aldridge was displaying signs of... basically being washed, for lack of a better word. And, of course, people got their jokes off and all that. And it was just really irresponsible. And also, what is the point of that? You're just... I mean, I don't want to sound like some self-righteous guy on Twitter like everybody else, but it is kind of messed up. And speaking as you know a journalist, especially in the radio field, um, that is basically it's one of those things where it's like, why can't you just retweet the press release or do a simple quote tweet of whatever it is Aldridge tweeted six minutes before you tweeted it as if it was a scoop? But anyway, enough about that, because I do think that is irresponsible, Um, and also just the, the, the need to be first really just rears its ugly head here in the internet era. That's the ugly side of it. But anyway, I just wanted to give my flowers to LaMarcus Aldridge, because like I said, he has been a staple in the NBA universe from basically when I was growing up, uh, Drafted in 2006, has went through really two different iterations of the Blazers' era when you think about it, or three different iterations if we really want to be honest here. Um, Of course, we all know the story. Aldridge was picked second overall by the Chicago Bulls, only to get traded to the Portland Trail Blazers shortly after. And LaMarcus began his career in Portland. And he really, like I said, he really went through three different eras. There was, of course, I watched a lot of Blazers games in high school. Brandon Roy was one of my favorite players to watch. One of my, the many favorite, there's a lot of players from the mid-2000s, late-2000s that I really loved watching in high school, especially as somebody who was you know, trying to hoop at the high school level and stuff like that. Um, But, of course, LaMarcus and the Brandon Roy, LaMarcus, Brandon Roy, Greg Oden era, after Oden got drafted uh, first overall in the 2007 draft. And then, of course, we all know what happened there. So then it really became just LaMarcus Aldridge and Brandon Roy. And um, Brandon Roy's knee started deteriorating, unfortunately. And he was really just a shell of himself. Uh, basically after 2007, 2008, uh, i will always remember Brandon Roy's uh 18 point fourth quarter in the uh, 2011 playoffs in game four against the Mavericks. It was kind of like a, oh wow, like there is still some magic left in there, l just to see Brandon Roy dominate one last time. But well, Aldridge played through that, and then of course the Blazers draft Damian Willard out of Weber State sixth overall in the 2012 draft and there was the third era and might have been the most successful Blazers era for LaMarcus Aldridge um that 2015 Blazers team I think is was really underrated and it kind of went sideways especially after Wesley Matthews tore his Achilles against the Dallas Mavericks that year he was a key cog in that starting lineup that starting lineup of Lillard, Aldridge, Matthews, Batum, Robin Lopez. And that was a starting, that was a uh, solid starting five. Uh, And of course they had bench support that year. They had to trade for, or they had to acquire Aaron Aflalo after the Wesley Matthews injury. And it kind of went sideways after that. But that was one of my favorite teams that year. They were one of my dark horses in the Western Conference. That was the first year of the Warriors era under Steve Kerr. And I think it was kind of a missed opportunity, of course. Uh, There's nothing really you could do about injuries. But Aldridge, for a four-year stretch, basically from 2011 to 2016, was one of the best players in the NBA. He was a multi-time All-Star. And if you don't care about All-Star appearances you can look at the fact that he was at one point he was on an all NBA team four out of five years and three straight years with the Portland Trailblazers. And he was a he was a he his position was listed as forward and the forward position was loaded. And it was also loaded with centers who could qualify as forwards for the all NBA team because the NBA still does Uh, positions on all NBA teams and so people would usually try to finagle their way around it work around the you know the position limits and there was even there was even one year I think it was here it is it's 2014-15 that year that I mentioned earlier with the Blazers having a really great team before injuries kind of uh, derailed things Aldridge was second team All NBA with Demarcus Cousins as the forward, Pal Gasol, who was a Chicago Bull at the time, at center. And then, of course, you know, Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul were on the second team. But it, that was also in a year where Blake Griffin was one of the five best players in the NBA. By the end of that 2015 playoffs, Blake Griffin was a bona fide MVP candidate top five player Tim Duncan who was still really good even at that stage in his career is where Anthony Davis made the first team for the first time Marcus Saul was a monster with the Memphis Grizzlies and you would think based on fan reception people have kind of forgotten how good LaMarcus Aldridge was and then you go back and look at the all NBA teams and you're just like wow Aldridge has been on the second and third team quite a few times, and that is nothing to sni- that is nothing to turn your nose up at. Lamarcus Aldridge was damn good. He was a key cog in the Blazers franchise. A big reason why they won a lot of games. Um he was the constant through three different eras, from the Odin Roy era to the Lamarcus Aldridge Roy era. That was brief before Roy went down, and then the Damian Willard era. And when LaMarcus Aldridge went to the Spurs, and although there were some issues there at first, he wanted to get traded before Pop finally sat him down. Remember in the 2015-16 season, the other team that was on pace with the Warriors or right behind them in terms of wins was the Spurs. They were at one point on pace to be a 70-win team, and LaMarcus Aldridge was a big part of that. Yes, of course, Kawhi Leonard was the main driving force behind that team that year but LaMarcus Aldridge was also an important cog in that offense so I think it's important to remember that while maybe this year and last year were not the best years for Aldridge this guy was on an all-NBA team his last all-NBA team was the 2017-18 season where he made second team again and this is the four out of five year stretch I was talking about So in 2013-14, LaMarcus Aldridge made the third team. In the 2014-15 season, he made second team. The next year, he made third team, 2015-16, which was with the Spurs, like I was mentioning, that team that was on pace nearly for 70 wins. And then, of course, he didn't make it in the uh, 2016-2017 season. But then in the 2017-18 season... He was on the second team again, so we're not that far removed from LaMarcus Aldridge still being an all-NBA caliber player, and it sucks when, you know, you want to play for a long time. I imagine it sucks. I I don't know what it's like being a professional athlete, of course, but when you're that good and, you, you know, you have a few years on the decline, but you still want to play, but then just life hits you like that, and you know, you have to step away for health and he should absolutely step away for health. If if he feels like he is his health is at risk continuing to play basketball, I of course we should all be behind his decision one hundred percent. Hope he has a healthy life. Hope he gets to enjoy his family. And it but I imagine the mental strain on that must be tough for LaMarcus because he did not want to retire I imagine this soon this abruptly the guy was 49 points away from 20,000 which he probably would have got if he didn't sat out for the last few weeks with the Spurs before being bought out but LaMarcus Aldridge was a bona fide star and I think the one ser- this was how good he was in the 2014 First round of the NBA playoffs, which I still think is the best first round of an NBA playoffs I have ever watched. There were just so many good games that year in the 2014 first round series where the Blazers started out on the road against the Houston Rockets against a very young James Harden and a older ish Dwight Howard, but still a really good center Dwight Howard and LaMarcus Aldridge in back-to-back games, game 1 and game 2 dropped back-to-back 40-point games. The first game, if we remember correctly, LaMarcus well, Aldridge dropped 46 in 18 and grabbed 18 rebounds, seven offensive rebounds, and he was giving the Rockets any and all buckets whether it was Terrence Jones at the time, whether it was they decided to put Dwight Howard on him, it did not matter who was on LaMarcus Aldridge. Aldridge just gave everybody buckets, and the Blazers stole game one. Then in game two, he gave everybody straight buckets again, dropping 43 points, back-to-back 40 burgers. And, of course, the Blazers win game two, The Rockets did end up winning Game Three, but we I think we all remember that series obviously because that was Lillard's first series-ending shot, the first one, not the uh, second one that we saw a few years back over Paul George, but the first series-ending buzzer beater. Of course, we rightfully remember that series when we remember that series, that is the first thing that pops out. But I think what was swept under the rug was the fact that LaMarcus Aldridge straight carried the Blazers in the first two games of that series and stole both games on the road, which is very damn hard to win on the road in the playoffs. That is how good LaMarcus Aldridge was. And even in game six, the game where Lillard, you know, sent the Rockets packing in Portland, LaMarcus Aldridge had 30 and 13. And yeah, you know, we can always question about the mid-ranger. Is it a lost art? Is it an an efficient shot? Blah, 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 blah. The mid-ranger on the left block was LaMarcus Aldridge's base, and he dominated it for a long time, and he is definitely one of the more underrated players of this era, and I think the last few years have kind of sullied that image a little bit and uh, has given new fans kind of an incorrect perception or first impression of Aldridge especially if you're a newer fan and you didn't see him in the early Portland days and even in the early 2010s um but he is w- absolutely one of the more underrated players of that era you could put him up against anybody he stood out in a crowd in a crowded position the fo- the forward position the power forward position especially as the era the NBA started transitioning to more Smaller forwards, so more smaller players started qualifying for the forward position. And there were skilled bigs that would qualify, that were maybe playing center, like DeMarcus Cousins, for example, and then making an all-NBA team as a forward. And LaMarcus Aldridge still stood out as a player among all that. And he should definitely look back, when he's able to, be in the headspace to look back at his career he should be damn proud of what he did and rightfully so Uh, but awesome player great career and Damian Lillard's right the Blazers no matter how sour the relationship might have ended I would hope that the Blazers one day retire the number 12 jersey because he is one of the best players Blazers in that franchise's history even if there, even if both parties did leave on a sour note I know it's abrupt but it's a congratulations on a great career for LaMarcus Aldridge and we really should just be saying nothing else but that this is the part of the NBA season that sucks but we should definitely talk about it uh the Denver Nuggets have lost their second best player their star player Jamal Murray for the rest of the season with a torn ACL and I remember watching that Nuggets Warriors game and it always sucks too when that injury comes within the last 50 seconds of a game but it was clear that when he landed it looked really bad and Look, I have no doubt Jamal Murray is going to come back even stronger from this. We all know his work ethic. It's been chronicled and documented. Jackie McMullen a few years ago did a really good piece on Jamal Murray, and you know it touched on the relationship with his dad and whether you know people thought he was pushing Jamal too hard. Some of the workouts that were detailed in that story were ins- <laughs> was insane um But I have no doubt Jamal Murray is going to come back stronger. But in terms of an opportunity for this season, there's no doubt this is a blow to the Nuggets. I thought the Nuggets, when the Nuggets traded for Aaron Gordon, that was one of those trades where I was like, I immediately loved it. I immediately loved it. Because he was kind of the guy who would put everybody else in their proper places and proper roles. He was He replaced the Jeremy Grant role and he's a better player than Jeremy Grant, although we can, you know, not debate, but we could say Jeremy Grant might be a better scorer. Aaron Gordon just does more things and he's bigger, more athletic uh, and more explosive and faster. Not that Grant isn't explosive vertically. He is. He is absolute. And he's a physical freak with his wingspan and just how big he is. But he's not as twitchy of an athlete as Gordon, and he's not as powerful as Gordon. Um, so I th- I thought Gordon was Jeremy Grant times two, basically filling the role of Grant and Torrey Craig, who turned out during the season before the trade, the Nuggets missed quite a bit. But I thought the Gordon trade made the Nuggets instant contenders, and I wanted to see them play for a few games before I went crazy with how I would update my Western conference tier list with the Nuggets because the Nuggets were always a dark horse team to me, but they were just one guy away. They needed somebody. And instantly, starting with the, uh, I think the first game Aaron Gordon played in with the Nuggets was against the Hawks. And you could just see immediately Gordon's cutting instincts were just an instant match with Nikola Jokic's vision and his passing from the elbow. And it just moved everybody defensively into a different place. Michael Porter Jr is all of a sudden not guarding the second option on the te- on the uh on the team or, you know, sometimes trying to guard the first option in a scramble situation. It was Gordon mainly taking on, you know, the big assignments like Kawhi. You know, switching on to Paul George, Mike Michael Porter Jr. can now, and he's improved on defense this year. He is really a, a really good weak side help defender. I enjoy watching Michael Porter jump really high and contesting at the rim because he is so weird. It's not weird watching Michael Porter play, but he has this really unique skill set. He is, he's a 6'10 wing that has this golden touch of a shooting stroke. And he's just, he has Springing, he has springs. He has bunnies, and seeing him improve on defense on that side of the ball this year has been fun to watch. But he wasn't. But of course, having Gordon there takes a lot of pressure off of Michael Porter Jr. on that end of the floor, and that helped him out quite a bit as well. And it just made the Nuggets' starting lineup big. and you know Jamal Murray obviously before the Warriors game had missed the previous four games with that with the uh, with that knee but the lineup of Murray, Will Barton, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon and Jokic was already destroying teams they were a plus they had a plus 16.8 net rating per cleaning the glass their offensive efficiency is at was out of this world and you know their defense was good at first, it started to slip a little bit, especially, you know, recently they had that collapse against the Celtics, and then they lost to the Warriors, of course, after, you know, Stephen Curry decided to go nuclear, but it's just one of those things where it's a bummer, man, because you could see how this starting lineup fit together. Yeah, I'm sure Nuggets fans had questions about, you know, their bench and maybe... Could you get some more size and some more shooting, just a little bit? Um, but I like their bench. I like Faku Compazzo. I think he's a. I think he is just a lightning bolt in a bottle. He is very feisty. He's tough minded and he's a smart player. Uh, Monte Moore is of course coming off the bench as well, and even Paul Millsap, even at this advanced stage in his career, you know he could be productive for uh 10 minutes and then they traded for JaVel McGee. I thought their bench was starting to get solidified, but not every team can be perfect. Um but I thought the Nuggets were full stop a contender right after that it, right when news broke that they traded for Aaron Gordon, I was like they are a, they are a contender, full stop. And it just it, a lot of that also hinged on it it sucks because a lot of that also hinged on the fact that Jokic is having one of the best offensive seasons ever and is probably my MVP right now um especially you know it just seems like everybody is going to knock down Joel Embiid for the amount of games he's played which I get with the MVP award not the rookie of the year award because who cares about how many games have been played it's the best rookie I'm still annoyed about Embiid not winning rookie of the year over Malcolm Brogdon as you could tell uh but it seems like Jokic is going to win MVP, and he's a deserving MVP. He is one of my favorite players to watch. I'm not one of those Sixer fans. Jokic and Beat is starting to quickly become Damian Lillard versus Steph, and that both sides are getting really insufferable about it. Um, I'm not from Philly, but we all know how Philly fans can get, and I love that passion and all that stuff. But um, the the nut the Jokic side will. Do whatever they can to prop up their guy and bring down Embiid, and then Sixer fans will reciprocate that, and then it just becomes a big argument fest. And now, if somebody like happens to like both players, well, then that person's a weirdo and all that stuff. And Dame and Dame Steph and Dame versus Steph has kind of evolved in that way over the last few years, where it's like, and I'm not one of those guys that's like, well, let's just enjoy both players, both are great. No, debate a bit in comparison to players is what's. It's that's fun. Like that's the, as long as it's reasonable and you guys aren't malicious towards each other. I'm, I love those conversations, but as we all know on the internet and on Twitter and stuff, and we should really stop using Twitter as a barometer for shit, but you could tell Jokic and beat is just heading that direction and it's just going to get really annoying. But Jokic is a bona fide tier one franchise player. I was really happy when they traded Nurkic, the Nuggets traded Nurkic to Portland so they can give uh, Jokic the keys to the car or at least the starting center position because he wasn't what he was back then. Even when he was throwing these crate, even as a rookie though, he w- even as a rookie and a second year player, he was throwing these crazy wobs to Kenneth Faree that I'm just like, okay, not many players in the league can do that. Um, but Jokic is a deserving MVP candidate and Jamal Murray was breaking out as a, well, not breaking out, but breaking out of this early season slump. He was kind of in a slump to start the year or wasn't breaking out like people thought he would um, after his performance in the bubble, but I figured he would turn it around. I mean, if anything, the con- Jamal Murray's contract is worth it in the fact that two playoffs in a row, the dude showed up and showed out and was hitting big shots everywhere that to me is worth it when it's winning time in the playoffs I know for a fact I can count on Jamal Murray but um he started breaking out in his in this regular season he was putting up way better stats than the bubble he was shooting career or his numbers across the board were career highs and the dance partnership between him and Jokic Whether it's dribble handoffs, pick and roll, um, Jokic at the elbow and Murray just cutting off of him, the little tricks that he does, the fakes, like, Jokic and Murray are on, clearly are, are on this mind meld that few players have, and they were devastating because of it. And then you add on top of the fact that Aaron Gordon is an instinctive cutter and can kind of do a little bit of everything and Michael Porter Jr. is just this sublime scorer that can pull up on any spot on the court along with, you know, the Will Barton spot. That's a little that's a little fickle because he's not having the year that he had last year before he got hurt. We forget that the Nuggets did not have Barton in the bubble, but Barton was a monster before he got injured last season. He has not been as great this year. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. That was going to be interesting to see play out. But that lineup with those skill sets, you know, merging with each other and fitting together perfectly, I thought the Nuggets were absolutely a contender. And it just bums me out that, you know, a really you know, rising, great player like Jamal Murray, it just stinks to see him go down like that. And it stinks to see, like, a team like the Nuggets, who very few teams have a window of opportunity where they could say, we can win the championship. And I was, I put the Nuggets ahead of the Suns and the Jazz as my second best team in the West. Of course, I still have the Lakers because LeBron and AD still exist. I think even... Even if they have a week and a half going into the playoffs to get ready, I would still probably take the Lakers over the field. But the Nuggets were right there. It wasn't like a, oh, this team is cute. They have a puncher's chance to come out of the West, maybe. No, the Nuggets were full stop a contender before the Murray injury. And it just stinks that they won't get to see this through. Now Murray's going to have to work to come back next year. And then I think that's when Gordon and Michael Porter Jr.'s contracts are up or they're going to be up for an extension on Michael Porter Jr.'s case. But Aaron Gordon's going to be an unrestricted free agent after next season. And you would have loved to see a full evaluation of this starting lineup heading into the playoffs. And not that it wasn't going to be bad or anything like that. I thought it would have been amazing. But you would have liked to see them – get reps together and because next year is not going to be on the fly per se but it's still going to be a sense of unfamiliar territory in terms of doing it together as a group um the early returns on it before the murray injury and you know e- the first like the f- the first four games of the uh after the gordon trade murray played but then you know, he didn't play the next handful of games before the Warriors won. So but the early returns on that starting lineup were really good. And it was meeting my it was blowing past my expectations. And I really wanted to see that uh, play out. But um, that's the life in the NBA season. Uh, Rest up, Jamal Murray. I know he's going to be back stronger and better. Uh, he is absolutely a rising star now. I don't think we could question it anymore. Even if he has like a cold streak to start the year, like he always does. That's the other thing with Murray too. The, m- most seasons in his career, you can look up. You can look up the numbers. Go back on Basketball Reference. He has always been a slowish starter, and it wasn't surprising. Everybody who watches Nuggets games and watches jamal murray a lot knows that you know eventually he's going to turn it around and go on a streak and it just seemed like he was putting it together himself and the team was coming into their own and it just sucks we won't get to see that play through or play out i should say last topic before we dip out i wanted to talk about carl anthony towns and maybe not carl anthony towns specifically although this is mainly going to be centered around him but the topic of good stats bad team guy, you know a, a term that was famously coined by Bill Simmons which is now i think morphed into if you're a good stats bad team guy that means you put up empty stats on top of all the losing and i think as we've seen over the years as offenses have evolved as player skill sets have evolved to me there are only a few players now every season that really fit the description of a good stats, bad team guy, or the definition of a good stats, bad team guy that everybody associates with that label. This was one of my sticking points. I was a huge Devin Booker fan early on. Then of course, you know, not just, you know, analytics and nerd Twitter, but you know, fans in general would pile on Booker. And I think it didn't help that he scored, you know, 70 points against the Boston Celtics in a losing effort I think that kind of you know stuck with him in a negative way as his career went on before all the winning that he's the Suns have been doing this season but a player who is very clearly offensively talented offensively has a feel for the game skill set to score to shoot to shoot off movement Booker clearly had all of those things and as he started getting the ball more in Phoenix because the team and the roster around him was continually incompetent he started evolving into a really good playmaker not elite but he was evolving into a really good playmaker and now that Chris Paul is there Booker doesn't have to do much of the playmaking anymore and he can f- more focus on scoring and playing defense, which Booker has absolutely been a really solid defender this year. The leap he has taken defensively has been awesome. Amazing what you can do when you don't have to carry the damn load every night, right? And so it's not surprising to me that towards the end of last season, when the roster started looking more competent, players started you know, developing and coming into their own, and they started fitting around Booker, that they played really well in the bubble and it didn't surprise me well it shouldn't surprise anybody when a hall of fame point guard like chris paul gets traded to your team that you instantly start doing better but it doesn't surprise me now that booker now especially lately when you look at the lineup data with just booker on the court and not chris paul The Suns still have a really high net rating and are outscoring teams by a lot when it's just Booker on the court. And that doesn't surprise me because if you put a good team around a highly skilled offensive talent like Devin Booker, guess what? You're going to be good. So I would always get annoyed when, you know, guys like Ben Golliver or, you know, Analytics Twitter bashing Devin Booker for his efficiency, even though he was a damn good efficient player relative to the crappy teams he was on. And relative to league average efficiency, by the way. Booker was always at the average in terms of true shooting percentage. He just had to take a bunch more bad shots because nobody else on the team around him was good until they started getting more pieces in. So... It's not surprising to me that Booker is doing well, finally, in a winning context. And this is how I see Carl anthony Towns. Carl anthony Towns now is in his sixth season and still putting up great numbers. And look, is Carl anthony Towns absolved from all the losing that's been going on in Minnesota? No. Is he completely absolved from the Jimmy Butler situation? after making the playoffs for the first time in 14 years in the uh, 2017-18 season uh, for the Wolves franchise, is he completely absolved from that whole practice incident? I don't know what happened. I don't know who started what, whatever. Um, Even before the practice, maybe there was some riff between Butler and the younger guys because we all know the type of personality Butler is. And by personality, I mean he just moves differently. And there's nothing wrong with that. He is a hard worker. He, if you know his story, if you're talking about the phrase, get it out the mud, Butler got it out the mud. I remember one of my best friends who's a Chicago Bulls fan, I remember after, specifically after, I think it was the 2014 season, the 2013-2014 season, um, and I had watched a good amount of Bulls games um, because, you know, I, I ride for my friends' teams, Right. After the 2013 season, when Butler, it was the second year, I think he averaged like nearly nine points a game or something like that. I remember this specifically because my friend was like, Jimmy Butler is going to be an all-star. And I almost dropped dead of a heart attack because that was one of the most wild things I had ever heard. I laughed at my friend. I told him he was insane. And then, of course, Butler starts the next year averaging 13 a game and stuff like that. And my friend's like, oh, what do you think about Jimmy Butler? I'm like, oh, he's going to be – I never said Jimmy Butler was going to be bad or anything. I think he's going to be a good player that you will want on your team for a long time, not an all-star. Well, I took the L on that one, obviously. But Jimmy Butler moves different he the work ethic the stories even though I think he glorifies it a bit the whole Miami heat oh we want to work out at three in the morning okay who cares why would you even document that but it was clear that Butler and the younger T Wolves didn't see eye to eye specifically Cat and Wiggins so I don't know who's at fault for that Wiggins or Cat is not absolved from all the losing that's been going on in Minnesota what I am not going to have is another Clear situation where a talent like Carl Anthony Towns, a guy who is great at posting up, great at shooting threes, not just threes, some of the threes he is taking is ridiculous for a seven-footer. Step back threes, crossover threes. He not only is he a good post-up player, he's a good he's a good mid-range shooter, too, can get to the line a bit. And also more importantly, especially over these last three seasons at least, you know, he's steadily improved early part of his career. He has morphed into an incredible passer. Especially now that Chris Finch has taken over, he's using Cat on different spots all over the floor. And you can see now, now that the Wolves have some talent at least with, you know, Anthony Edwards, Malik Beasley was really good before his suspension um D'Angelo Russell's now back they have players on the team I like Jaden McDaniels they're just really young but you can see now that players are starting to come back healthy for the Timberwolves if you put a competent team around an offensively talented Nova star like Carl Anthony Towns the ceiling for the team the baseline the floor for the team raises a little bit Carl Anthony Towns is a career 23 points per game, nearly 12 rebounds per game, 39.5% shooting from three. I cannot emphasize this enough. And especially the last few years, last season took nearly eight threes a game, this season taking over just six threes a game. But again, I also want to point out and I want to be sensitive to the fact that Carl Anthony Towns has been through some shit. And I just, I feel, I empathize with him. I feel awful for him. Um, And it continually makes me mad that people don't take this pandemic seriously, especially when, you know, Carl Anthony Towns has been through what he's been through. But all in all, he's been having another great season, 25 and 11 and nearly five assists a game. Like this dude's, these dude's numbers are spectacular. And you mean to tell me, that these are empty stats. I think there I think there could be a distinction between good stats, bad team guy, and empty stats. Because to me, empty stats is Hassan Whiteside, Andrew Wiggins. Those are the two most prominent examples, right? But that's the thing. We always use those examples. And then the good stats, bad team thing, I think it's morphed into empty stats guy, which means if you're losing, the stats are empty. And I don't really buy that 100% because there's many factors. Maybe when I was younger, I would have said this dumb stuff. But I think there are. we can all acknowledge there are many factors to winning a basketball game. And Carl Anthony Towns certainly is not the driving force behind the fact that the Timberwolves are losing. They've been an incompetent franchise forever. They finally hired from the Daryl Morey tree getting Garrison Rosas last year. And the jury's still out on that, honestly. And that just goes back to the incompetence of this franchise. The constant turnover, too. There's a reason they've been to one playoff series in 14 fucking years. We saw this with Kevin Garnett. We have seen the Timberwolves piss away franchise talent before. And now we want to act all surprised that this player, Carl Anthony Towns, who is putting... Together, some of the best offensive statistics that a center has ever seen is all of a sudden a losing player. So, you mean to tell me if a team traded for Carl Anthony Towns right now, the team that traded for Carl Anthony Towns would be worse? That doesn't make any sense. So, when we go back and keep using the two prominent examples, Whiteside and Wiggins, and maybe a few others, you're trying to throw Devin Booker, before this season at least, Devin Booker. And Carl anthony Towns, under that same umbrella? Nah, that's not nah. Get out of here with that. I can handle maybe Carl anthony Towns definitely needs to learn how to win, mature. I think he even said recently that early in his career he was chasing stats. And you know, he's, he came into the league at 20 years old. Of course, that's going to enter your mindset as a 20-year-old. Like, I got to establish myself. I got to get mine even though that's not the mindset to have when it comes to winning in the NBA seriously, he's a young player. And by the way, he's still 25 years old. It's not like he's a finished product by any stretch of the imagination. One of my favorite fake trades, and I'm not trying to be one of those guys that's trying to trade everybody like ESPN and only talk about the big markets, but my favorite, and I'm not going to talk about a big market here when I, tell you that this uh, trade scenario and it's not the first time anyone I've said it or anybody it's not the first you know groundbreaking thing anyone has said but I would love to see the Thunder go all in and, and try to pry Carl Anthony Towns out of Minnesota because that team is a damn good organization just top to bottom in the front office not so sure about ownership but Sam Presti is still leading the charge. The Thunder have a bajillion draft picks, and it's interesting that the Thunder are doing a more blatant and carte blanche version of the process, and Adam Silver isn't doing shit about it, but that's another topic for another day. Might not come with the tanking and the losing games, but this is clearly... At least Sam Presti ripped off 75 pages of the process book out of the 100 pages... But they have so many draft assets now that they could easily just go in and give Minnesota a godfather author uh offer and just be like look we'll give you some players that we developed we'll give you if you want Pokashevsky my boy um even though honestly I would keep Pokashevsky I think he 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 is still a bad player, but he is not the meme that he was earlier in the season. And ever since he's been starting, he's been putting together some flashes. But anyway, you know, do you want Maladone? Do you want Kendrick Kendrick uh Kenrich Williams finally got the name right? Do you want one of our many fucking first round picks? Take your take your pick. And we will and we want Carl Anthony Towns in return. Do you mean to tell me that the Thunder who have been spiraling a little bit since, well, not a little bit, a lot, since Shea Gilgis-Alexander went down with plantar fasciitis. The Thunder were a play-in team when Shea Gilgis-Alexander was playing. He he has been a bona fide all-star this year. Probably could have made the all-star team if the West wasn't so loaded. You mean to tell me that if you pair Carl Anthony Towns with SGA, they wouldn't be in the same tier that we look at Memphis or look at, Dallas, SGA and Carl anthony Towns would be a nasty combination with the good coaching they have too. Carl anthony Towns is a player waiting to get traded and show that he is a winning player in plain sight, much like Devin Booker was. And for Timberwolves fans, for their sake, I hope like the Suns, they can figure it out quickly. I don't know what Carl Anthony Towns thinks. I don't know, I don't know his day to day. I don't know any of that stuff. But eventually players get tired, man. And if the Wolves keep on being this incompetent, then you might have to do something. Garrison Rosas, you guys better hope Garrison Rosas turns this around fast. And you know, there's some promise. There's a sliver there's slivers of hope. But I'm just saying I bring I say all these hypotheticals and stuff to bring it back to this. Carl Anthony Towns is not a losing player. I will push back on that notion every time. And if he was traded to a different situation, we would be looking at him in a different light. Amazing how. Tom Thibodeau, best coach he's had in his career so far. Jimmy Butler, best teammate, best player he has played with so far. And what do you know? He was a key, Carl Anthony Towns' numbers contributed to winning all of a sudden, and they were in the playoffs. Amazing what happens when you put a competent team around a clearly very talented offensive player. So we got to be better with these type of guys because Carl Anthony Towns is clearly a special talent. When you watch him, when you look at the numbers. And yeah, is he absolved from all the from all the losing that they have done? Is he absolved from any of that? No, he's not. Like I said earlier. But I also think it is fair to say that he is not the reason and that he is a amazing talent. And if he was on a different team, like the Thunder, it would be much different. That's all I have for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Sly Hooper Podcast. Please leave a like, a rating, spread the word. Would love it if you would subscribe if you were so kind. And until the next time, deuces.